0: 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We said God wants more from you because He wants more for you. But the thing that He wants from you and the thing that He wants for you more than anything is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I know that, you know, some folks... I've been around long enough to know there'll be some folks that are, blah, obedience and service. Yeah, he, he wants us to obey Him, absolutely. He wants us to serve Him, absolutely. But any, any of that stuff that we do outside of the context of fellowship, it, 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 it's almost meaningless to God. Um, and, and self-righteousness, things that we do to try to earn what He's already given us, things that, that we, we try to do to put Him in our debt, again, filthy rags to Him. Fellowship 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 nothing he wants more for you and from you than fellowship because he knows that if we'll obey within the context of fellowship we'll do so willingly we'll do so joyfully we will we will enjoy him teaching us how to trust and love amen now there's a praise God we've talked about this is eternal life let me just touch on this verse for a moment this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent And the fellowship word in that verse uh, is the word know. And it literally means that they might be having an experiential knowledge of you. So what he's saying here is this is eternal life, that we may have ongoing, uninterrupted fellowship with you, Father, and with your Son, Jesus, whom you have sent. And so last week we kind of went into that expression, this is the life. People say, man, this is the life. You know, they on vacation somewhere that they really enjoy, relax, and say, now this is the life, right? Meaning um, better than working eight hours a day or what have you, okay? But what Jesus is saying is this, this is not just the life, this is eternal life. Now, in the course of our study, we've also talked about the difference between positional and functional oneness. Fellowship is a combination of these two, amen where we are both in position as one with the Lord. I'm having a little bit of technical issues up here, so just give me just a sec. Praise God. Amen. Everybody good? I got some good stuff tonight. I got backup notes if I need them, but we're going to get this working right. Praise God. I like the ability. Sometimes when, and I'm still understanding all this, I use this same system on my laptop in class to broadcast, and then we swap back over. And rejoin the Mac computer in the media booth. Sometimes it it uh, keeps. I think it's keeping it look, it's looking for my my laptop. But anyway, you still with me? So fellowship, positional and functional oneness, good deal. Um, so a call to fellowship. Remember, you've been called to the fellowship of the Son. It's both a call to positional and functional oneness with God. Um, fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. Marriage between a man and a woman makes them one and provides the basis for them to function as one. And the other example we see in Scripture is the body. Many different members joined together in one body enable the body to function as one. Now Jesus is our example in all things and we know that He functioned as one with His Father while here upon the earth. He declared in John 10:30 that I and my father are one, okay? And so that would, that would represent the positional oneness. In other words, he was in a position with his father where he was one with his father. But then we also see in John chapter 5, verse 30, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. Then in John 14:10, I know I'm going through these quickly, but we've covered all this a few weeks back. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus declared the Father uh, who dwells in me does the works. So he declares his positional oneness with the Father, and then he declares the functional oneness, and not just declares it, but demonstrates him and his Father working together. Now... We see, of course, and we'll get to this in the, in the days ahead. I don't want to talk too much about it right now. But we see also where Jesus told us to go preach the Word. And the Bible says that, that, he, that Jesus went with them, working together with them to confirm the Word with signs following. Now, obviously, if you've been born again, you are the bride and body of Christ and thereby have positional oneness with God. And we said that positional oneness with God is an inward reality of the new birth. And I'm going to show you this. I'm trying to set some things up tonight just by review and bring us up to a certain point. Positional oneness with God is an inward reality of the new birth. Functional oneness with God is an outward expression of the inward reality. And An outward expression of the inward reality. So Philemon, only one chapter, so it's verse 6. Philemon 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So we call those things that are in us because we've been born again new birth realities, things that are true about you and in your inward man because you've been born again, things that you possess now that you didn't possess before because of your new birth things that are true about you because you've been born again that are simply not true about another man or woman who has not yet been born again these inward realities of the new birth and of course we know that discipleship is about a lot of things and one of the key uh, purposes for discipleship is for the inward realities of the new birth to become outward expressions of life so freedom from sin for example is an inward reality of the new birth learning how to express that outwardly and live victoriously over sin. Righteousness, we could go on and on. There's a long list of these things. But the one that we're focusing in on tonight is this inward reality of the new birth where we've been made one with God. Where we have been made one with God. Okay? In the same way that a man and a woman enter into a marriage covenant and they become one. In the same way as we closed out last Wednesday evening talking about My right hand and my four fingers and thumb, um, how they are one and they function together as one. Um, There's no power struggle between them. Um, My thumb is the dominant finger on my dominant hand. But he, he doesn't rule over those other four fingers, but he works together with them and is thankful for what each one of them uniquely brings to the table. Amen? You do understand that you do things with your pinky finger that you don't necessarily do with your thumb. You do things with your index finger that you don't necessarily do with your ring finger. And tall man, will leave him alone, right? Because we do right things with that, not wrong things. Amen? But again, each finger has a purpose. But when it comes to gripping, they're not equal to my thumb. But when it comes to gripping something and functioning, they're equal with. When it comes to functioning together, they're equal with. And you say, Pastor Mark, that sounds like heresy. Well, now again, see, acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Acknowledge every good thing that's in you. And, and, and we see that the Scriptures confirm this in multiple places where we see that, that Jesus worked together with uh, His followers, His disciples to perform miracles and, and signs and wonders. We see where the Scriptures refer to us as co-laborers together with God um, where, again, we've been made one with Him. So the question that we asked before we were dismissed last week is are you mature enough to acknowledge your oneness with God? And that's not like, I'm not trying to argue with you, I'm not trying to condemn you or shame you, but I believe this is a key part of our growth and development when we are mature enough to acknowledge our freedom in Christ, to acknowledge our identity in Christ, to acknowledge our righteousness, and, and these things begin to, to develop and, and become outward expressions of the inward reality. And, and yet, here's this key one that, that deals with oneness. Now, why is it so important for us to understand that we're one with God? Why is it so important for us to acknowledge it? Why is it so important for us to become mature enough to, to even say it and confess it out of our mouths? It's because there can be no fellowship without oneness. There can be no fellowship without oneness. Now let's lay some biblical groundwork for this. And the first place I want us to go is First uh, Corinthians chapter six and verse 17. Now <clears throat> when we talk about some of the things like we're talking about tonight, I, I always like to remind you first of all that I'm not the one who said this, God said this, I'm not quoting um, you know out of something that I've written, but I'm quoting what the Holy Spirit inspired the men of old uh, to write. It's, it's it's the infallible Word of God. It's it's the Holy Word of God. It's the inspired Word of God. And so, this isn't my opinion. Um, this isn't something that I learned in in a in, in a seminary or a denominational school or anything like that. I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just saying th- these these things are in the Scriptures. Now, you know whether we want to deal with them or not. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that Jesus would say to people and they would just turn their back and walk away because they didn't, they didn't want to have to deal with, with what He was trying to help them deal with in their lives so that He could set them free or bring healing and deliverance um, into their lives, right? So this is huge. This is a huge thing. This is a big step. This is a significant shift. Amen. This is a significant shift. It's part of that significant shift from a personal relationship mindset to a oneness mindset. From a personal relationship mindset to a fellowship mindset. Amen. And not only is it huge, this is Father's desire. This is what He longs for. This is what Jesus was ultimately wanting to produce in your life. I said this in discipleship class. And I'll say it again. And I'll just try to make these things as plain and as real as I can for you. But I want you to imagine at some point... Uh, eons ago um, God the Father and God the Son having a conversation and God the Son saying something like this to him. Father if you want them I'll go get them. If you want them I'll do whatever it takes to bring them back home. Amen. If if you desire fellowship with them then no matter what it costs me personally because see he's in fellowship with the Father and that's how fellowship works. Amen. Whatever it costs me personally I'm willing to pay it to get them back home to you. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so many times we try to understand these things from our perspective and what we think it ought to be instead of looking at it from God's perspective. I remind you over and over and over again, He has forgiven you of your sin for His sake. Amen. Because your sin, my sin, was an obstacle to something that He wanted to have and enjoy with you and me and and among other things and perhaps most importantly the thing that he wanted to share uh, the, the experience and enjoy with you and me was fellowship and so his desire to treat you and me like our sin never happened again is so that he can have the fellowship with us that he has longed to have with us so it's huge it's his desire and it's his doing it, it wasn't like I said to Father God, I'll either have the same fellowship with you as Jesus or none at all. I, di- I didn't negotiate this deal. I didn't, I didn't say, um, uh, you know, listen, while we're talking about this, this, this is what I want. and, and this is th- I didn't make this deal. I didn't make this covenant. Jesus came to this earth as me, for me, to represent me. Uh, and he's the one who, who did this for me and you with the Father. So that means, listen to me now, it's it's not our place, it's not our place to tell Father what he wants. It's not our place to tell him what we think is right. See, that's, that's where that, we call him the prodigal son, that's where that younger son, that's where he was so far off base. That's where he was so arrogant. You know, his his father received him and honored him and restored him. And he's basically saying to his dad, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I should You shouldn't restore me. I, it wasn't up to him. I mean, what was up to him was, Father, humble, gracious, and acknowledge it. Acknowledge, I cut a fool. I did something wrong. I embarrassed you. I embarrassed myself. But now that you're welcoming me back, thank you. And I, and I want to be in fellowship with you for the rest of my life. Amen. But see, no, no, he, he, he wants that friction. He wants to tell his daddy what should be done. He wants to tell his daddy how it should be handled. He wants to tell his daddy what kind of a relationship that they ought to have now. And, and, and it, 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 it wasn't, I mean, it, it ultimately was, but he still missed out completely on, on the heart of his father. And people, that's why I tell you all the time, we think that, that story has a happy end, and it doesn't. That story ends with a younger brother insisting on being a servant, and the older brother blowed up like a bullfrog, you know, mad at his daddy. And his father's just standing there with his arms open, wanting to hug him and love them both and have them love one another as well. So, this is huge. And if you only look at it from the perspective of what you think you deserve or what you think is possible or what you think you can pull off or what you think you can do, you're going to miss it every time. But our place in this is to understand Father's heart, acknowledge what He's put in us, and then submit to it and allow the Holy Spirit to take us by the hand and teach us how to do it in a practical, meaningful way that is both of benefit to our Father and to us. All right, so let's, let's get to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The context of this is sexual immorality and, and people uh, who are not in marriage covenant with one another joining their bodies together. And the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is speaking against that, okay? But, but then he says to join the body... Together is to become flesh joined, he said. But but th- those who have been born again, they've been joined to the Lord, and are one spirit with Him. This is this is where this verse and others is where years ago the Lord told me to say it this way. You know, a lot of people say me and so and so and so are just like this, or you know, me and the Lord are just like this. No, me and the Lord are just like this. Okay, we've we've been made one, and so without going into a three-part series on this what what we see in the scriptures is that when we were born again our spirit wasn't refurbished our spirit was buried with Christ and we were given a new spirit amen and then our new spirit recreated or we could say created again in the image of Christ born of his incorruptible seed is now a fit companion for the Spirit of God who comes to live within us. And so we see then, amen, and there's scriptures for all this. We, again, it's things like this that we'll spend two or three hours on in discipleship class digging into and explaining, okay? But the point that I'm trying to make is when you were born again, you were, you were given a new spirit that was born of a different seed than the, than the first spirit that was in you, and that spirit became one spirit again with God. Your spirit and God's spirit become joined together. They become one spirit. So we sometimes use the water. I used that example last week. But if, if you were to take water from this glass and water from another glass and to pour it into one glass together at the same time, then there's no, there's no separating one from the other. And so when your spirit and God's spirit became one spirit, it's, it's very, very difficult to tell where he ends and you begin and where he begins and you end amen because that 's what it means to be joined together and of course this this is the the, the foundation if you will for um, fellowship praise god now let's let 's keep going there 's a few other verses I really would, would like to get to tonight um, these we'll probably circle back to these John chapter fourteen verses nineteen and twenty my computer's locked up again, and so Amen. Let me just get... Thank you, Jesus. I will not be distracted. You okay? Everybody good? Everybody blessed? Everybody thankful? Everybody hanging in here with me? Amen. I apologize for the technical issues there. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, let me get down here to these. So, John chapter 14, 19 through 20. He says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. He's speaking to his father. He says, but, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. Okay. Now this is setting the stage for what he's going to say uh, to his Father in John 17 as it relates to these things. So again, notice now what he's saying at that day. What is he talking about here? He's talking about where, when he's going to go to the cross Then he's going to be buried. He'll be gone for three days. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be with them for, uh, um, uh, I forget how many days. Pardon me. drew a blank there. Anyway, and then he's going to ascend back to the Father 40 days. Um, That's right, because they're going to go wait at Pentecost. Then he's going to ascend back to the Father and seeing him physically, Um, That's not going to happen for a while again, all right? But he says, when that day comes, you will know, that's again experiential knowledge, that I'm living in the Father, that you are one with me, and I will be living in you. I will be living in you. He said, you'll know that. Now, just like knowing anything experientially, there are degrees and levels of it. One of the ways that we know this is true is that once we're born again and He's in the Father and we're in Him and that oneness has occurred, when we actually make a mistake or commit a sin, it's not the same anymore, right? Now it it's something in us that's grieved in a way that it wasn't before. One of the ways that we know, and First and John verifies this, is that... Confirming that he's in us and we're in him, we've been made one with him is is that we have a greater sense of love for other people um one of the sisters that that got recently born again at camp um all of a sudden she's wanting to hug folks right <laughs> amen and you you say well that 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 may be that's that sounds so simple well, when you didn't want anybody to hug you before, right and now you're, you're wanting to be hugged and you're, and you're, and you're wanting to hug people. So, so what's going on? Again, this is that beginning level of, of knowledge that something and someone, something's different and someone is different on the inside. From the Passion, the passion Translation, this same uh, verse, soon I will leave this world and they will see me no longer, but you will see me because I will live again and you will come alive too. So when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father and that you are one with me for I will be living in you, amen now John chapter seventeen verse twenty. I do not pray for these alone. John seventeen is one of the great fellowship chapters in the Word of God, and we it's like some of the episodes from daniel's life that gives us insight into spiritual things and spiritual warfare. John seventeen gives us such beautiful insight into um, fellowship and and the fellowship that Je- that Jesus has with the Father. Amen. And remember, we've been called into that same fellowship. So when we see what Jesus is enjoying with the Father and even what Jesus talks about with within this prayer time, conversation time with His Father, it really gives us some beautiful insight into these things. So let's look at this. He said, I do not pray for these alone. So if you're familiar with how John 17 goes, Jesus prayed for Himself. Then He prayed for His inner circle, the, 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 I'm sorry, the closest... Those closest to Him, His disciples. And then He prayed for you and me. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, how many times I've read that that passage right there. But again, there's an acknowledgement on our part that's required here. And that is... When God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, talks about themselves and me and you, they use the term "us. yeah you know, what's that saying the uh, the big eyes and the little yous you ever been in situations like that you know where you were the little you and there were other big eyes in in the room you know that um, there was all the front row seats were for the big eyes and all the back seats were for the little yous, you know what I'm saying uh, the us and them." Mentality. Do you realize that Father God, as it relates to to, to His children, He doesn't have an, an us and them. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, us, and everybody else is them. No, He includes you in when He uses this word, us. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. One of the things that we see here, and you know, evangelism should always be a byproduct of fellowship. Okay, if you listen to Pastor Bill Winston uh, preach very much, you know, when he makes a point that he didn't have in his notes, whatever, he'll say, "Now there's a tweet." You know, that's a tweet right there. Okay, evangelism should always be a byproduct of fellowship. Amen. And notice he's talking about fellowship, but what does he say? Fellowship is what will enable the world to know that God the Father sent Jesus to this earth for them. So Jesus is in the Father, we're in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in us. Do you see how all of these things come together? Now, I got just a few minutes. This is this is where I hope to get to tonight. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. Hebrews chapter two verse eleven, and it says this: For both he who sanctifies, and that means to set apart, to, to to declare and make holy, for both he who sanctifies, who is he who sanctifies? That's God. God is the one who sets apart. God is the one who makes holy. He's holy. He makes holy. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, who's still the work in progress? That would be me and you. Okay, that would be me and you. Amen. The Bible says He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Amen. You'll never understand that verse unless you understand you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Amen. So notice now He says, He who makes holy or He who sets apart or He who sanctifies and those who are being made holy who are righteousness and holiness are different things, okay, right? Those who are being sanctified, those who are being set apart, those who are being sanctified, Uh, made holy, are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brethren. Now, I want to point out a few words here in this verse. First of all, the word ashamed, not ashamed. Sometimes we think, you know, at least I did, you know, when I heard this word ashamed, you know, I'm thinking like, embarrassed or, you know, ashamed of this, ashamed of that, shame of what I did. It, it actually, well, let me just give you the definition. Ashamed means reluctant to do something because of fear of embarrassment or humiliation. Ashamed, again, reluctant to do something because you're afraid of being embarrassed or you're afraid of being humiliated right now the opposite of ashamed in the original language is the word rejoice so he's saying that jesus rejoices to be one with you and to call you brothers and sisters he is not reluctant he is not hesitant he is not concerned that if he declares himself one with you, that somehow that's going to reflect poorly on him. He's not not ashamed. He's not hesitant. He's not reluctant. He doesn't hold back. We see this again in the parable that he taught when the the younger uh, younger brother, younger son came home. The father wasn't hesitant or reluctant to restore him. The father in that story, by the way, is our father, heavenly father. And he gives him the ring, he gives him the robe, he gives him the, the shoes. And restores him back to the to the positional oneness, amen, that he always had in the father's heart with him. And now he gave him the means to function in, in oneness. Father wasn't reluctant, he wasn't hesitant, he wasn't like, man, you know, he's already really embarrassed me once and... If I put him back in that position, I'm just setting myself up. You know, you know what the Bible says, fool me once, shame on me. The Bible doesn't say that, by the way, but people think it, right? Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. No, shame on me, you know, whatever have you. Got to say. See, again, shame, 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 right? If you, if you get one over on me, then that you should be ashamed of that. But if I let you get one over on me twice... See, none of of that factors into fellowship. That That has no place whatsoever in a heart set on fellowship. So, the opposite of ashamed in the original language again is rejoice, which means Jesus rejoices to be one with you and to call you his brothers and sisters. Now, here's the question though. Are you reluctant to call yourself one with Jesus? Do you understand? I want the Holy Spirit to help us here. It, other words it's just like, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too big here, you know, because I might mess up. I might this. I might that. You know, I'm, I go telling people I'm this, and then what if I do that? See, that's that's the enemy trying to, trying to to get you in that position of of reluctance or hesitancy. Okay, now let's let's go with this in just a few more minutes. Okay. He doesn't hesitate, think about this now, to call you one with Himself. The problem is not that Jesus is reluctant to say it, but that we are. Jesus is not reluctant to acknowledge you as one with Him, as His brethren. But we sometimes are reluctant to say it because we are reluctant to think it. Now, here's the last point. The word brethren here is of great importance. In the original language, it's the word adelphos, A-D-E-L-P-H-O-S, translated to our English word brethren. And this is what adelphos means, from the same womb, from the same seed, one having the same nature. I'm going to say it again, adelphos, brethren, so in other words, it means way more than this, but Matthew is my biological brother. We came from the same seed and from the same womb. And so there is, a, there is a bond between us, amen, because of that. Now, here, Jesus is saying he is not reluctant to say that he's one with you, he's not reluctant to identify you and declare that you are his brethren, you are his sister, but to put the brother-sister on it weakens it. He's not ashamed to say that you and him were cut from the same cloth, that you and him were born from the same seed, that you and him have the same nature. Wow, wow. Now, let me ask you again. <laughs> see he's, he's not reluctant, he's not hesitant to say, "Oh, look, look at look at my brother Bruce. He's got the same nature as I have. He's not reluctant to say it, but are we are we reluctant? Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about saying it, Pastor Mark? Well, one, words chart the course our lives follow, but see, we've got to acknowledge these things. We, we've got to confess these things. Inward reality is the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Satan would love for you to live the rest of your life one with God, but never acknowledge it, never believe it, never think like someone who's one with God, and certainly never say it. Jesus took some heat for saying it, by the way. When he was on this earth as a man, when he said he was one with his father, the religious establishment came unglued. he wasn't afraid wasn't reluctant wasn't hesitant about it now for the record second peter chapter 1 verse 4 establishes this among other verses it says by which have been given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust okay now that word translated partakers it's another fellowship word it means a partner partaker or companion one who has an equal share in partaker is a derivative of the fellowship root koinonia koinonia in the scriptures is is the greek word translated into our english word fellowship partake partaker here is koinonos c o i i'm sorry k o i n o n o s so Koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, is fellowship. Koinonos is partaker. So do you see the similarity there? The root, they share a common root. So again, partaker. Notice he says that you may be partakers. You have to understand what's going on in the bigger picture of being revealed to us in 1 and 2 Peter. But we know that it was the Word of God The Word of God was the seed from which we were born a second time. And seed determines the nature of a thing. And because we've been born of God's seed, we have become a partaker of His nature. Oh, sweet Jesus. I'm talking about your true nature now. So, Adelphos, let me develop this and we'll pray. Adelphos generally denotes a fellowship of life Based on identity of origin. Do you see why you must be born again? You must be born again. Things of different origin can't fellowship with one another. They can relate. They can have relationship. But of different origin. Okay. So Adelphos generally denotes. All this is not ashamed to call you Adelphos. Not ashamed. Not reluctant at all. To say that he has a fellowship of life based on identity of origin. Last thing, Adelphos also designates a fellowship of love equivalent to or bringing with it a community of life. All this is out of um, AMG Publishers uh, Complete Word Study Dictionary um, that I'm quoting for you now, okay? Stand with me. So Adelphos, again, designates a fellowship of life based upon um, identity of origin. Adelphos designates a fellowship of love equivalent to or bringing with it a community of life. Amen. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus and the Father enjoy and a whole lot like what He desires for us to enjoy together with Him. Amen? Amen. Are you seeing this? Okay, praise God. Praise God. Sometimes it's easier, especially when we get into some of these word studies, for you know, to be up on the screen and stuff, but it's it's all right. Amen. Everything's everything's good. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, let's see if I can say it another way. And I, I I know you're standing and it's time to go, praise God. But if we go back to the John 17 verses, understanding our positional oneness with Jesus and the Father. See, here's the thing. If you're born again, you have that same positional oneness with Him. So functional oneness, the the fellowship, positional fellowship is positional and functional oneness, okay? Okay that functional oneness isn't just me functioning as one with the Father but it's also me functioning as one with other members of the body of Christ So this whole idea is all I need is Jesus I mean God set that straight in what Genesis chapter 3 it's not good for you to be alone Adam, amen you need, you need fellowship with me and you need fellowship with other people So, as we grow and develop and and mature into these things, it's enjoying fellowship with the Father the same as Jesus has with the Father. But any unforgiveness, any strife that would exist between you and another person, what's that going to do? That's going to interfere with your fellowship with God. You, you can't separate the two. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a loose translation of John chapter 17. Father, I'm doing all this. I'm going to do all this so that all these folks can be one with me. And I'm one with you. And they're one with me because they're one with me. And I'm one with them. They're going to be one with you. But my prayer is that they would learn to be one with one another as well because that's where the job gets done that's where the miracles that's where um evangelism explosion you know I mean I've heard that terminology before it's all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have one to another right amen all right father we love you thank you for loving us thank you for helping us thank you for showing us and teaching us father how deeply these things are rooted in your word they're right here for us father um it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a huge thing to, to find, hard thing to find. Um, nor should it be considered some far out, way out in left field doctrine, Lord, that we're one with you. It's it's clear, it's right here in verse after verse after verse in your Word. And Father, we see it because it's what you long to have with us, and it's what you long for with us. And so, Jesus, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for seeking and saving that which was lost. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Our way back to the Father in you. Once we're in you, Jesus, we're in the Father because you're in the Father and you and the Father are one. Thank you, Lord, for the oneness that we have with you, the oneness that we have with every other born-again believer. Father, we're not, a, we're not ashamed to call our brothers Adelphos either, Lord. In the same way that you're not ashamed, reluctant, hesitant to to own us, Lord, we're not ashamed or reluctant to own one another and, and recognize the union that we have in you. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we'll have tomorrow to let our light so shine before men. May they see our good works and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, double honor to those of you who made it to class and and the service those of you who were able to do that you have a great rest of your evening we will see you